25 years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Vampire the Requiem. Hey, one and all, welcome back to 25 Years Presents Requiem. And this year, this year, wow, did my brain skip, right? Well, just pardon me, folks. What I meant is this episode is what we're going over is, of course, New Orleans. Uh, City of Darkness, New Orleans, I believe is the full title. And uh, I don't know, guys, how are you feeling today? And of course, I'm joined by Brennan. Hey, everyone. And DJ. Hey, everyone. Glad to be back. And that's me, king of the intros, awkward as they may be, getting <laughs> worse every time. That's my promise. Most people improve, I say, fuck it. You get it as it is, right? Why get better when you can get worse? You know, this, we are the original podcast that way. And, you know, a lot of people put a stress to it, but I hope you appreciate our style. Nonetheless, um, what can we say about A City of Darkness for Requiem other than I feel this is the first official book? That we finally tapped into that goes over an actual city of darkness, and I don't know. I, I got. Uh, I'm kind of mad at Requiem right now. I really. Oh, am. oh yeah. Let it out. Yeah, this book. This book pissed me off. Like, how dare they get good? You gotta understand. My technique is to grab one of these books in reference and go. I used you for years. I had problems with most books, right? And there's there's always like you know. Of course, I used it to the good and made it my thing and learned to just make make do with what you got. But there are most authors I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with whatever fanboy shit this is or whatever my mentality kind of didn't sway with it. And then I looked at it and said, you know what, though? Look at it from a different perspective, tried different things. And that's sort of where it developed me into a human being, mm-hmm. right? I went from being a troll know-it-all to a human being and just, you know, opening up. <laughs> but then I feel, oh, 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 Jay Achilles is getting me back in that mood where it's like that elitism's coming, mm-hmm. right? Where if it doesn't have Achilles on it, I ain't about it. Right, it's just a waste of my time, and it doesn't matter if he developed it. Doesn't matter if he produced it. If he's on it, there's some skill in it, because you know he picks talent. There's, this book showcases that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with being like a being like a fanboy for Justin Achille. I'm the same way with like uh, you know like a good Cronenberg film or like David Lynch. You know, it's just who you like. They 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 tell stories that you enjoy. It's a thing. It's a thing. Now. Uh, with all that uh, warming up the band, as we say it, or, you know, a more cruder phrase that I won't use, I really do respect the man. And uh, his viewpoints in the world of darkness have often colored my own. I've made that since Gitmo, mm-hmm. from the beginning of doing these, that I was that guy. Here's yet another book that's dominant here. And I don't want to forget the talent that elsewise in the book, but it's a star list mm-hmm. of people who contributed to the New Orleans book. We're talking New Orleans in old or classic world of darkness, or what are we calling that? First edition now. Chronicles of Darkness? Cool, Chronicles, yeah. yeah Chronicles. Chronicles of Darkness, first edition. Um, I'm referring to... Uh, yeah, I guess you could say it. We'll do that. Um, Vampire first rolled out and they did their New Orleans book. That New Orleans mm. book was like a heap. Yeah. It was a heap. That's the one right? that talked about the subway in New Orleans? In the city uh, that's yeah. like two feet underwater by average? <laughs> there was a lot, right? But then I sat there and said to myself... That people of talent can figure it out. They yeah. put mages in that book. They put werewolves in mm-hmm. that book as a back threat. They they were tying a lot into it. And that's because it was coming from first ed, rolling through, and never updated material. It kind of just sat there, right? Not not much going on. And I feel that that someone said, you know, we should go back there and we should figure it out. And I remember there was a heyday when, like, White Wolf sat in New Orleans. Like, they wanted people to go. 
yeah. and participate yeah. and be there and be a part of it. And I always wondered, where's that love child? They were there and spent that time there and they got that passion for it. Where's it at? Where'd it go? And off the bat, when I started flipping through the pages of this book, I was like, this is you. This is what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand how weird it is. This book sat on my shelf from 2005 at its launch. Mm-hmm. It came out. I got it. I put it on the shelf and said, it's a City of Darkness book. Can't wait to have friends do it and play it. But remember my curse. Yeah. When Requiem came out, all the old hats backed away from it. And we're like, we're not doing it. I'm like, guys, it's actually kind of cool. We should check it out. They're like, F you, Bob. Go enjoy it by yourself. <laughs> have a game with just you. I was like, all right. I guess I got to play the game they want to play, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that. Well, now the tide has turned, finally. And I'm, and I'm in this book and I'm going, I'm, I'm mad. When this book was hot is when I wanted to be in it. Now I find myself going, man, I want to run a New Orleans game. Right. I normally laughed at it. I normally laughed at it. I really did. I said the coolest thing about New Orleans for Vampire has always been uh, me giving credit to Anne Rice. She did it beautifully with the interview with the Vampire, right? When they did a movie there, it really showcased uh, the, the romantic, dark aspects of New Orleans from that perspective. And uh, films like Angel Heart uh, get in there. Angel Heart's a great uh, dramatic horror-esque film that showcases that as well. Serpent in the Rainbow is another film that's near and dear Mm -hmm. uh, to going over that. And I said to myself, man, ah, well, this book will mention probably some books I never heard of, and they won't mention those movies. No, they mention all three of those movies. They did. (laughs) Straight up in there. One of the first things we read. Tick them off like a list. And right there, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to put my schoolboy hat on. Right? I'm going to make sure my feet don't touch the ground hanging off the couch so I can swing them mm-hmm. as I read through this and go through it because I was like so happy to do it. And, and as I peeled through it, I go, well, wouldn't it be nice if they separated the diatribe from old, old city books where it's like, here's the history of the city and why they have uh, subway stations and here's why <laughs> buses were invented. Uh-huh. And isn't, isn't Harriet Tubman cool? Well, now here's where the vampires start too. Like there's a whole lot of do we need that in the book? No. From that perspective, isn't there a better way? And lo and behold, what what do they do in this book? Yeah, with this one, they 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 took the approach that I I love. They only add the relevant human history that they need. Everything else is vampire perspective. So like the actual history of it takes like what thirty pages like that. But that thirty pages is all like prime content that actually gets you into the mindset of what's going on in New Orleans over the past, what, 300 years? And to explain that prime content, it's no-nonsense vamp only. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's you are mortals and are aware of the history that happened in New Orleans, and you have, like, the internet. Right. Or something that you could, you should know about it if you got this book. And if you don't know, uh, spend a little effort and get more in-depth as your interest is peaked. But here's all the vampire stuff we thought of. Here's what the vampires went through. And as you start looking at it that way, in that perspective, in big events, you're like going, oh, man, like inspiration's instant. You're like watching it going, oh, man, during that time, that elder's fighting with that elder. And this, hold up, let's stop the press. Let's just get a little bit into that history. All right, let's do it. My favorite part about this is how they start off saying, Oh, yeah, the kindred history of New Orleans is like it was anywhere else. A roving elder is abusing the Choctaw. Uh-huh. Right? And and that's it. They don't... I love it. It's not a bash. Like, they smash you in the face going, we're not telling you really what clan doesn't matter. We're not really getting in depth with why they did it. We're just saying they were near... In, they were inhumane. As a guy just walking around, manging on some Indians. Natives. Right? That's... Like, That's it. Think about it. From that standpoint, though, that's just what they know about it. 
There, but it, it does highlight one thing that I love about Requiem's take on vampires. It's that even before the, the Europeans got here, there were still vampires here. What? Anywhere there's people, vampires have always been. It's a foregone conclusion at that point, right? Because that, that's exactly what it is. It's almost like, and it only reinforces the fact that your myth, your creation myth is always out of the way. Much like the creation myth of the city. You, is it a reliable narrator you could think of? Well, who settled here? We don't know. Well, we originally don't outside of the fact that, once again, as you were mentioning, wherever the herd is, is where the predators are going to come. Mm-hmm. But remember, the City of Darkness book is not here to give you false information. No. That's another thing they're very good about it. They tell you that Appendix 2 uh, of the main Requiem book, they had a little insert about New Orleans. Right. And they yep. said, treat that as the rumors. But this book, you this is fact. We put facts in here. We put stuff you read that you could take as gospel to run your Chronicles from. Because mm-hmm. they get in depth. And one of the things I like about it is like, yeah, there was a vampire running around eating Native Americans, raised in hell. Not only that, as this place started getting more populous and folks started figuring out where New Orleans was and what's going on, this brings the ilk of like Nosferatu and Gangrel, the hardy vampires who come down here and in roving bands are doing the same thing. They bring mortals and settlers, then they come in and start eating people. And they also point out, I forget which disease, that they're also spreading willy-nilly. Yeah. And it's just going around. And they're promoting it. And you're thinking, man, this is kind of a hellish place. They describe like almost a cowboy-esque setting of the Wild Bunch. There's no law around here. Mm-hmm. It, it's do what you had the might to do it. Which, as we talked about, is kind of how Requiem does it anyway. Territories of feeding and who can hold them down and who can't. Right. And that's, and that's where you're at. Well, it's cool to see that they go, finally, some prince comes along and goes, enough. We're going we're gonna to take this. We're going to enforce some traditions. We're going to try to bring this into a into a modern era at least for that time because this has got to we got to slow this down and all this history becomes at that point of the difficulties of this prince to rein it in mm-hmm. with all the challenges that's going on um some some polite points too because we're not going to go over every every niche step in it but some of the hot points that when you hit new orleans you you know kind of raise an eyebrow uh one being slavery right that's something they did not, that's a topic they did not shy away from. And they put it into, a, they didn't like drill down into it, right? But they also like <clears throat> didn't pretend like it didn't exist and framed it in a believable vampire-esque way. And they did it to where there's no crying. Right. Right, that's that's the ultimate part I like about it. And what I mean by no crying, yes, you should be empathic. You should care about empathy. But this is a, a fictitious book about the world of darkness. Right. This isn't about trying to sell you the slavery bet. Of course, slavery is bad. Mm-hmm. You, the reader, should know slavery is bad. If you don't think slavery was bad, put it down because this uh, hobbies for mature folks and go and go and do something else. Because this isn't here to try to give you a platform for an argument to start for a game where good, wholesome folks just like to play vampires. Here's some mystery to it. They don't even address it. They don't even step in that direction. They're just like slavery comes along. And as the vampire saw it, it brought more chances to feed discreetly. Because nobody cared about the slave population. And accordingly, they were able to feed almost uh, at a whim. Mm-hmm. Wherever the slaves collected. There were problems, though. The slaves brought their own religion. Voodoo was amongst it. Mm-hmm. And there were certain vampires that took hold uh, in those areas to protect that populace on top of it. Not only that, suddenly, with the, uh, it, with the introduction of sugar plantations, sugar's everything. It's a massive source of income. And once that happened, um, slaves almost became protected from vampires by the elders. 
because you needed that workforce. Mm-hmm. You can't mess with them. So did the plantation owners, right? The concept that uh, uh, slaves were being taken down and forced to fight each other and, and they weren't people and kill them and whatever, that's fine. You can have that mentality. But um, as the book writes, as you would even learn in history, those people are commodity. The crime of slavery is that they were owned right. and they had no rights. Uh, but they were a source of income for the owner. And, you know, you wouldn't, you don't just want them to be expired and whatever, as terrible as it is. But they did it from a vampiric perspective. Now you couldn't feed on them. And as that history goes, plugs along, you know, with the Civil War and what happens with that, you get a stance that's made. Uh, this guy, Vidal, I don't want to take it all. So I just realized it's been kind of gushing <laughs> on here. Um, and we're going to pick on DJ Brennan. Uh, DJ, who's Prince Vidal? Like, what, what's what's his shtick? Why is he trying so hard to be in this territory? Augusto Vidal, who is a Spaniard from Cordoba, had come around 1770, and he brought with him everything that you would imagine a conquistador to kind of have. There's a there's an aristocracy, the aristocracy that follows him along with it. There's also disdain along with what he feels, and he doesn't come only by himself. He comes with a couple of other elders, specifically. Um, a Chastain to his left and a Pasquale to his right. Mm-hmm. And they help establish that dominance. It's because of him as well that this institution uh, continues regarding plantation, the, the slavery, the, the way the city's kind of building. With the exception of Prince Vidal, um, can we get like what clan he is? And then instead of referring to the names of his right and left hand, let's just refer to him by clan. That way, for those who haven't read the book, it's just easier to follow along. Of course. Uh, we have him. Um, uh, Vidal himself is a uh, Deva. I'm sorry, a venture. Yeah. Uh, but he does have a Deva and a Mechet who uh, are his accompanions. And as a venture, of course, that that field to own, that field to be more powerful is definitely felt within him. Uh, there are none that seem to oppose him at this moment in time, especially during the nascent portions of New Orleans growing because he has that type of establishment. He has been the conquistador. So w- when Vidal comes in, and he he sit he starts to set down the rules in New Orleans. Is he doing that just from the like the power of himself, or is he there like representing something? In this particular case, he also represents the ideals of Olenkea because he's there to conquer um, on behalf of them, spread the good word. At this point, missionaries was also a very good thing, bringing the word over of the religion of the Christianity religion, right? Or in this case, Olenkea mm-hmm. uh, over onto the new world itself. So he was laying down the seeds as well. And considering that New Orleans was fertile ground, and this is all new ground, especially down in the South, what better place? And he becomes a salt word because of it. And this, this creates an interesting backdrop because the elder that settles amongst the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the slaves, I should say directly, uh, particularly in Vodun, um, is Baron uh, Cemetery. And I, and I love his name for that. And I hope I'm pronouncing it right because it seems that way. I have no idea. <laughs> Right? Because um, there's there's a lot of pronunciations going into that, but it just seemed like a stylistic way to be cemetery. And it felt mm-hmm. very uh, very New Orleans, right? It's yes. a gimmicky name. It's a suave, you know, very mystique added to it. And it was cool. And uh, one of the things I like about it is that this guy was neutral, right? Um, you had Vidal being, uh, well, like you said, he's Venture. He's coming in saying how it's got to be. It's Lankea. And uh, this guy, Baron Cemetery, is like, nah. That's, that's not what we're going to be. And uh, we're just not going to say anything. And it's written in vampiric fashion. I adore this. When I say that, it's because I like the fact that that, that wasn't a conversation that took place for a month or a year. This is like decades, mm. centuries. This dude's just sitting back, not coming to talk to the prince. Biding his time, figuring it out, cementing his hold in the territory uh, with, the, with, the, with the African slaves. And that's, 
because he knew they were going to be something. There was just too many of them in one spot for it not to be. And they, they are what they are. Why I find that interesting is because Vidal has a hard stance on it. Right, says flat out he doesn't uh, he doesn't approve of Vadun because it's it's uh, basically it's it's a heathen religion mm-hmm. that they have going on. It's it's making fun of Christianity, and uh, he felt it was almost mocking it uh, based on what was going on. And it's a, it's an attack at their surplus, right? Their uh, their stock, their money stock, living crop, I guess you could say, which is slavery, as he looks at it, and workforce. So accordingly, that is um, that's everything to me. Because it gives you directly why the conflict was fueled in New Orleans, why they chose that spot, and where the action was. Now, just in that little bit, no matter how far back you want to go, you can start placing, um, I think of the player characters always. Like if somebody wanted to play a game that started in a particular era that was in this spance of what's going on, New Orleans could be your answer easy. And from many different angles. And still there would be Vidal, right? Yes. Or Baron mm-hmm. Cemetery. And they're like a constant that you can have in there that is no problem to do. I adore that. I really like that. Never before did you think of it in that capacity because they didn't lay it out by the numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's like they realized that, that the authors were expecting maybe too much or um, just it's a different angle. I often say that we stand in the shoulders of giants and I feel Requiem is always going to be that advantageous end result of what they were going for. And that's why it's glorious to see um, by the numbers, they tell you who the prince was, where the origins were, what's going on, and immediately who's that rival. And now you can place whoever you like. right? And of course, this book maps out everybody's position, role, and what, what's there. Uh, but what they're really doing is inviting you to follow along with their logic as to why they have something there. And, and even to tell you in the book, go ahead and change whatever you like. Right. Right. Change who you want and what positions, but we recommend this because this is how we had this flowing. And this is your call. Again, that's the toolbox approach that they that they like. They they just stamped all over Chronicles of Darkness, right? Like we know you guys have your own story you want to tell. We're gonna do everything we can to show you how it could be done, but we know you're gonna change it anyway, so we're making it as easy on you as we can. And I think another thing to add on to that, especially when it comes to the wish we could show you how it could be done, is to show you specifically when you're taking a look at Rivals within the city, right? Not even taking a look at it from a camera or Sabat perspective that most people usually do. Or when you're taking a look at elders kind of war at each other and where they kind of have domain and how they kind of gain that influence. You directly see an opposition between two different factions and how it like grows organically. On one end, you have the self-established prince with who is a Lankea member. And in no way, shape or form, as we spoke about in the Lankea book, is the Lankea just strictly... Christian in mindset because there are variations of it, but you could see how he takes his his message being in that covenant with devout Catholicism. On the other end, what stops that completely in its tracks and causes the biggest headache is the Baron Cimitieri because it's the community that stops him. It's literally that prize, you know, that that prize group, that community that stops him from doing so. And so long as Cimitieri has a hold on them, has some sort of influence, that automatically is enough to put people at pause. And like, if you take a step back and reflect upon it, how much of an influence does this one elder have to be able to stop a prince or at least cause him a headache where the prince can't do anything about it but roll with it? Now, what's awesome about this is that they describe the prince warring with mortal society Mm -hmm. quite a bit. Vidal's number one obstacle to nailing down New Orleans is the tumultuous time that he's coming into it. Right? So we got slavery check. He comes in when it's starting to be good and everyone's settling and this is all blowing up and his influence blows up accordingly. But the moment a civil war breaks out, 
right? That's when stuff goes south because that's, you know, you back the wrong horse, so to speak, right? Uh, pun intended, I guess, that's when <laughs> stuff goes south. Uh, so, you know, he's back in the Confederates. He's looking to get mm-hmm. everybody else to come in with him. And I like how during that time of chaos, there are rivals daring to step up. Right. And uh, one of them, um, I forget this, the smooth cat daddy's name that rolls in. Halliburton. And, uh, Halliburton. Uh, well, Halliburton's right? one of them. Right. Yeah. Halliburton's one gang girl that's there. Uh, but the one I liked was like Savoy, I believe was his oh, name. Oh, uh, yeah. Savoy. I, I, I right? know who you're talking about. The one that tried to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. Um, I'm sorry. You like the story. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, no, you're, you're cool. As long as I rung the bell. You did. Um, there's Because he comes in in a unique way. You always wonder. Or I think people always assume when the prince decides to go on a war path. He's going to win, no matter what it is. And when you read about Halliburton, this gangrel that sits in the middle to challenge the prince's reign, he's directly able to be a rival. Like, he walks into the domain, and he's able to rival Cimetiere and Vidal. And to the shock of many. Remember, Vidal has two elders to help him. Mm-hmm. In fact, one's that Maquette, who he gave the French Quarter to, yep, uh, when she decided well. to back away from being Primogen, as a reward for good service. And he's and at that point that tells you he's playing a high political game where he's rewarding people parishes, uh, which are territories in New Orleans at that point, um, for the mortal growth because he knows he can't keep it all, right? right. Like he got to remember in Requiem, it's their vampires looking at feeding territories. You can have your own little fiefdom uh, in certain territories as long as the prince okayed you being the, the the king in that territory. Great, fantastic, have at it. But if he didn't, that's that's where it gets interesting. And all these people challenging him are those who want to have a right to say who does what and where. And it's beautifully pointed out, in my opinion, because this allows you to have, well, this allows you to come in when you make a character to not have to focus on that politic, but know it's in the backdrop. You know, it feels alive, immersive, mm-hmm. right? No matter what time period you come in, these cats are going on and they're going at it. And um, why I like Savoy so much is like he's the voice of the future. Right, they point out that he uh, he comes in, and uh, instead of being like a cemetery and staying with religion, like with Vodone, and and now at this point he's been amongst the the slave salon. Then when they're freed, and he's among that black culture, that dude's making inroads that just were not uh, not available back in the day, as that's progressing for him. However, when Savoy comes in, he straight up is controlling the underworld. Right, right. He's knee deep in crime. Right, prohibition era, and he's rolling it around and he's making bank on it. And when he steps in, he shocks everybody at how easy he's able to choke certain domains and threaten certain spots. But even that dude realizes uh, that if uh, any one of these elders turned around and focused on just him, uh, it, would, it, would, it would suck for him. Bad news bears. Just not old enough. But they know that whatever one that does decide to go after him, they weaken themselves to their enemies. So again, it's pointing out that that political game that a lot of people wonder, well, who would win if this happened and how would that work? Case in point, the Chicago by Night book, just uh, shift gears. Mm-hmm. When you look at that book, and they do have a point where they tell you, so-and-so Primogen doesn't move because of this, and you know Nikolai doesn't do this because the Tremere are watching him, and he has stuff going on, and that's that. Ballard does what he does, but Ballard's uber, super rich and whatnot and all that. And we leave for you to decide what, you, what to do with that powder keg. Well, if you didn't write the characters, you don't know what to do with that powder keg. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of hard for you to get going. You're just going to have to make a choice, and hopefully it, it's a good story when it pans out. Uh, what I like about Requiem is that they took these people and automatically didn't... Well, they didn't ask the question, one. They just told you what went on with them. Mm-hmm. What's the history between these NPCs? What this does is it allows you as a storyteller to adjust anything. Someone wants to come in and be Savoy. 
right? Do what he did, and that's their concept, but do it better because they're coming in Prohibition era and they're thinking of being the mob moving into New Orleans and whatever their concept is. You could just take that NPC out and put them in the back burner and Savoy comes in as a rival or maybe is a mentor to this player coming in and lets him do it first. And that's it's so easy to do it at that point. It's very, very fun uh, to think about the opportunities that presents. But I also want to look at the fact that that's just the vampires. It's just the vampire history, right? And it's seamless, right? Interchangeable, well-explained, mm-hmm. defined. I think fans have been begging for that. And any one of the books to come out and just lead them by the nose, this is it. I also like the fact that they did their homework on New Orleans. Absolutely. I, even in the, uh, we, we talked about it at the beginning, right? The um, inspirations, the the movies and the books. One of the, uh, one or two of the books they mentioned, one is a history of New Orleans, right? Just a book about the history of it. The second one is uh, a travel guide, actually, uh, by like uh, uh, the, the uh, vacation site Lonely Planet to just like really get you immersed in what the city is itself. Because they even point out at this point, at uh, at the beginning the city itself is like a vampire in a way something that's like uh that feeds on those that live in it anyway and is a monster in and of itself which is a very romantic notion uh to kind of put you in that feel that they want new orleans to be uh with that mystique rather dig it uh my favorite part is what is actually in the book you know it's typically a pet peeve for folks and i've heard it said that they hate it when they open a book and it refers to other books mm-hmm Right, because what's in this book that makes sense? But folks, they're telling you reference stuff they pulled from. That if you want to really get into it, go for it and kind of make it your own. But then they give you the apples that are in here. For instance, listing holidays mm-hmm. that, that are unique to what goes on. And not just Mardi Gras. Telling you what popular areas are and where to look up and what goes on with that. Um, what certain themes and things are about. Um, the terminology, the glossary opening up uses two terms in it. That is a... Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know when it became bad. Like, woke culture and all is a thing. and uh, But Mulatto, I remember one day folks telling me you can't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you, we're talking the entire time I went to high school and college. Mulatto was a thing that I was marking off on a demographic. Right? Because it meant that, you know, one of your parents was black and one of yours was white. And that was it. And they had it on there. And then suddenly that wasn't an option anymore. It was gone. It was taken from from everything as an option. I was like, well, that's weird. wonder when that happened. I just didn't notice it, right? And it's like, oh, that's a bad word. Okay, no problem. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that's something I lived through and saw it. And when I saw it in this book, I was like, hmm, it put it in perspective. The times and period matter uh, when those when that terminology was used. For instance, quadroon was something uh, that would get you shot in certain parts of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like if you refer to somebody, no, nah, man, I'm a quadroon. I'm just, I'm actually not joking about that. I've seen a physical like altercation erupt because someone was using a term like that. And uh, I guess somebody offhand in the bar knew what it was and started an argument that led to something stupid. I didn't stick around for all, but it's not a, really a great story. But I remember that um, trigger moment for somebody hearing it. And I guess that was that was the hill they chose to die on for it. And I had to wait to go home to look it up. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, why? I'm a geek. Mm. I heard of drag. I heard of Dragoon Knights. <laughs> right you remember that right so i was like going man that's my first uh final fantasy fight i ever saw right uh, someone doing that but i mean those knights were cool they could jump in the air and they come down two rounds later do all that damage they were pretty cool no man it was quadrant and you a moron and you should probably diversify your vocabulary <laughs> a little what, bit that's Bob. what the google results said <laughs> so uh, <laughs> right 
And I, and I was like, okay, all right, maybe, uh, hmm. But this book listed tastefully. Mm-hmm. It's like, know what this term is and know what that is. They give you a little dirt uh, to look up to understand where that comes from and why. Um, Voodoosant is uh, referring to, I believe, voodoo, 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 voodoo practitioners. Right. Instead of just calling them voodoo practitioners, it's Voodoosant. And uh, I rather like that because it's fancy. Right? That gets you in that gambit mood, right? <laughs> you want to say something nice? You want to say oh, a little player? I had you gotten got through it. this entire book without realizing Gambit was like Cajun. Now I... Uh. And, <laughs> and I bring up a joking fashion, but seriously, not until just now that I even think about it because I was so enamored by it. Uh-huh. This book made me enjoy New Orleans. It yeah. really did. And uh, the, the aspect of having a game. I always thought it was cheesy. I think I yeah. thought of X-Men every time. I thought of New Orleans would walk around and like, oh yeah, share mon ami, let me put... It's, uh. Gambit is really the mutant Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> right you're not wrong i mean that's how he got everybody marvel was like going you know what cartoon character had some popularity we can get away with with a kind of a copyright close smear scrape and and everyone will secretly be all about it because he was kind of a cool character maybe a little weird maybe a little aggressive oh yeah peppy Le Pew. right running around always trying to get that female skunk is overly aggressive and can seem to be cute but he would be arrested today someone would shoot him you know, mm-hmm. like just doing it the wrong way. They just throw him in gambit when it comes to rogue, right? Every of the word out of his mouth is a come on, don't worry, share. You can't hurt me. I have energy plenty for both of us, right? Whatever he's saying. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Well, that's not in this book. <laughs> that that field doesn't give it to you, right? Here they point out, uh, I mean, exactly what a uh, somebody of Creole descent is, what that means, right. and they do it in a respectful tongue. Mm-hmm. And when that happens and you read it, you're like, okay, cool. So when I have to showcase the people of it, and they're going to be everywhere, that romance is there. You know, styles of cooking, you can see that easily translate into. This makes you want to, if you've never been to Orleans, and I haven't, but this makes it feel like you're armed to portray a culture in New Orleans of what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, they call it the Big Easy. Maybe you don't know what it is. Look that up if you want. Or if you're if you're me, I enjoy the mystique about it. Yeah, I I do too. I'd never heard of that before. I I have been to New Orleans a single time. And when I was there, everyone was like, you call it NOLA. No one ever calls it New Orleans down here. I was like, oh, all right. That was the first time I heard that term as well. And who knows? You know, I'm not an expert of New Orleans, but I do know that in this book or when I have to refer to something as the Big Easy, it feels like something you say. Just like Mm -hmm. you said, it's NOLA. NOLA. (laughs) Right? That's okay. That's that's some some culture flair. Like being there, that's what you got to do. And, and now you think of the player characters coming in, and if they've never been, and you go there, or even better, what if they have been, and you did your homework? Oh, how cool would it be to immerse them and bring up and trigger memories, mm-hmm. you know, in a good way, that they were there, oh, I was there, and uh, we experienced Mardi Gras here, and there was a stand where you can get these icy freeze pops here that were made with alcohol, and folks enjoyed it. There's a jazz shop in almost every corner during that whole festival, but it's crazy. Why was it crazy? Because in two blocks... There's everything going on. It feels like a walking carnival. There's all this noise and cool stuff and people getting drunk and beads and everything. But you go two blocks over, you better you better be real careful. Mm-hmm. Because it's a different neighborhood, a different feel, and suddenly New Orleans isn't so cool. And once you step out of the tourist areas, that you know, it's how it is. Now, layer the kindred on top of it. Right? We mentioned the French Quarter and one elder has that domain of being there, and she enjoys it because of the popularity. But if you want to feed there, you got to work for her. 
you got to do something for her to, to allow you to be there at all. And in a game where you have to be a vampire and getting blood is everything, suddenly, well, think about it. We haven't talked about this. Requiem does outline it. In the masquerade, when someone, a player wants to feed, at some point they're going to frenzy and they're going to mess up. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. It's almost built for it to happen. When yeah. that happens, players panic. Most of their troubles come from it. They don't know how to get out of it. They don't know how to how to deal with it because who does? They're not vampires. Mommy and daddy didn't pull you aside and tell you enjoy your Cheerios and I'm going to tell you how to get out of a breach of the masquerade. Right? doesn't happen. And so now they have to, for the first time, it's real hard to envision what goes on. Requiem does something unique. It tells you off the bat that the focus is hunting grounds. And if you're going to go somewhere to feed, then someone's going to find you or it behooves you to find them and to make sure you know what territory you're in. And if you do, you ask them permission. Mm-hmm. And while you do that, and it's fine if you come hungry, that's the point. They'll say, yeah, go ahead, feed. I'll even hunt with you. But while we're hunting, I'm going to tell you what you got to do to make this right. And if you want to keep hunting here, uh, we'll see how you handle yourself. And they're trying to bring you in, right? When everybody talks about how do you break into the elite crowd, right. how you get to where you know elders aren't pooping on you and insula aren't, aren't in a way or gunning for you, that's how you do it. You have to partner up with the strong in night society uh, to be anybody. You need their status to protect you from those who would abuse you. And to give you a little leg i.e., you got to work for someone to be someone. And yeah, then yeah. based on what you do with your reputation as you're building it, then you could become a shot caller, a big player, or whatever, and, and get noted as moving up. But until you do, um, stop crying. Mm-hmm. Right? It's what it comes to, right? You got to work. You got to work. You got to earn it. And, and like you're saying, that does that does solve that problem or that that thing that pops up in Masquerade, right? But it also it, it also hammers in the fact that uh, well, it connects you to the society as a whole, right? Because if you're feeding in one person's domain, you're working for them, or maybe there's a mentorship, whatever situation pops out of that, right? There's someone above them as well. You are to them as they are to a prince or a primogen or a priscus or yep. whoever is up in that chain. So that gets you involved completely. And I, I don't know. I just think that, like, when I was first reading that, I could think now, like, a half a dozen different different relationships that can form out of that, right? Maybe, like, the the landlord forms, like, a, a coterie or a pack, and you're a member of that. Or there's someone to, maybe it's a priest, Right, and maybe every domain leader is just a, a priest, and you're their flock, their congregation. And that's the form it takes, and it's just, I, I just, I just love it. Because <laughs> those seats are endless, right? Mm-hmm. They they exist for that particular reason alone. And I think you know, doubling back just a little because it is of importance. Is, as we mentioned, it goes straight to the vampiric, it goes straight to the vampire history that we deal. With. We don't have to worry about the mortal stuff, and that's so much freeing, especially for a new storyteller, or someone who doesn't want to do that much of a backdrop. And they're bringing new people in because, you know, as a person who hasn't been to New Orleans yet, I could just focus specifically on the history. But then there's a cool section where as it goes neighborhood by neighborhood, I could incorporate those neighborhoods and what, yep. you know, what has happened in that neighborhood and how the elders in that section are doing it. I don't have to worry about the rest of the city if all of it's going to take place in Bywater then we're going to do a city block of, by, you know, we're going to do what's happening in Bywater right there. And I have more than enough information to take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. And you're right, because I can only imagine now the first thing that popped in my mind was like, this is my landlord. This coterie was formed for this particular reason. My elders want feeding grounds on here. I'm here as his emissary or I'm here as a spawn to go ahead and get this. All right. Well, if we're working this out, that, let's make this happen. And it's such an easy way to introduce players to it. So I think, it, you know, this book does a very good job of outlining that. 
And what it does for players is that if you get this book and you read it, you're not gonna you're not gonna ruin anything to read it. Not at all. So what that you know about Vidal and where he stays and what he has or what domains? Um, well, some of the cool names in one of the coolest named characters ever I've read is Sundown. Right. Right. <laughs> Sundown. What is it? Sundown, the After Dark King. Isn't isn't that what it is? I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, but that's, I, I like can see. T- it. I'm almost I'm also positive it's the after. I'm almost positive it's the After Dark King. I don't have it right in front of me. But it's a smooth cat daddy name. Right. Right. And that's that's totally topical for him because what does he do? He runs a jazz club. But you know what he does even better? He came in on this concept and it's rock solid makes sense. He came in on prohibition dealing business with alcohol and getting in and laying the seeds for all the nightclubs in the area to be what they are. And New Orleans is a party town. Mm -hmm. That's that's what it's known for is, you know, to anyone in the U.S. for for that in the world, really. And, and because of that, this dude is someone to know. That's how it works. He's also someone that works for Old Savoy, right? Or Savoy tries to, or he's trying to do something with him, get him under his wing, and naturally you would. But he's he's a young dude. Most importantly, though, before you do anything else, is he a Deva? Nah. Is he a Ventru? Nope. Gangrel? Nope. Uh, Keep trying. Maquette? No. He's a Nas. Yep. Sundown the After Dark King is the Nas, and how awesome is that right? Proving it, I love it when it spits in your eye. It's not typical, is it? Sure isn't. And this dude gets it done. And that's that's one of those gems uh, that you that you got to appreciate. And it's not the only one. You got to, I believe it's Pearl is her name too. Uh, that that's in this book that is noted for opposing Vidal uh, as being one of the elders that get in his way because he's he's racist, right? Vidal is racist, mm-hmm. and and Pearl's there, and Pearl is was given concessions. And for whatever reason, because the assumption is, is that if Vidal didn't play ball with her, she can make it real uncomfortable uh, amongst the African-American community. But it doesn't talk about her having a supreme pull. It talks about her being involved. But she turned down Vidal's offer for power to maintain as Priscus and take care of hers. In that regard. And when you think of that, it's like, wow, man. So the history matters so much to the kindred. But they do that formula that was always talked about, right? You heard that phrase, the will of the prince, the will of the city. I feel that was a mantra when they started writing Requiem and doing mm-hmm. these books. That the vampire will never be separate from the city itself ever, right? And when you look at the history of New Orleans and how they mapped it out for vampires, every single vampire NPC is tied to that city in that capacity to give it that vampire feel that it talked about that New Orleans is. And that's how they did it. That's the secret. You know, I often say it's funny that uh, when you looked at Old School Chicago by Night, which was a great book, uh, they had Kevin Jackson in it. You know, and he's the gangbanging king of the streets. He has these night armies and, you know, that's why he's awesome. And they kept him in V5 as Prince, too. Mm-hmm. That's not he's not Chicago. That's that's not Chicago. That's never been Chicago. That doesn't feel Chicago. Chicago's always been corrupt politics, murder capital of the world for various reasons. Gangs were a part of it. But typically, Chicago's an international hub second to New York City, right? New York's well-known. Chicago was like where you go to get business done. And in the city of industry, you know, cattle yards, that's Chicago. Good pizza pie, right? You know, <laughs> this is just the place to get stuff done. And there's there's ways you can feel about being about Chicago, and few of the characters do it. I felt Jacob Schumpter out of that book had more pull than anything uh, for being an authentic character. But very few I could pick out to do it. Still not a bad book. They're vampires, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have to be mm-hmm. and give that feel. But what difference it makes for immersion when you take something 
like New Orleans and Requiem, and you roll out those vampires that fit, right? That feel they grew with the city, that the city and the territory attracted its own type. And it was all mortal fueled. It was all mortal influenced. Why? Because as you said at the beginning, populace of humans is going to have vampires, but what type of vampire is it going to draw? And so everybody's got their finger in some sort of pie here where you're like, it makes sense for that character because that's what should be here. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you should mention that because one of the, the key things that I was thinking about earlier today was comparing this book to currently Chicago by Night or the, the B5 one. And the reason I say that is because when you think about the way that that book was written and previous like, you know, masquerade books, there's always a semblance of like there's a city and then there's like the structure in it and then these people just play around. And then it's their personal struggle or, or their personal aspirations to do whatever they have to do. But with New Orleans, especially, you know, taking a look at the mortal populace and each of these three characters, because it's three main ones, right? We'll, we'll break it down into Vidal, Savoy, and uh, Smithieri. Mm -hmm. And they're not budging in any way, shape, or form. And what's worse about it is that it feels, it truly feels like a gilded cage because it is a prison for them. It almost feels like watching, like, well, I forget the name of that Hellraiser movie, like the seventh or eighth one, where it's just like it's a continuous dream that they can't get out of. And the reason I say that is because you have Savoy, who has access to the French Quarter, and of course it's powerful, of course it's all the feeding rights, but it's so small by comparison, and his time is running out because if he doesn't make a move, something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You have Cimitieri, who has this entire community, but he's too aloof about it, and the people who are really into the Vodun, right, who aren't just playing, you know, Baron Smetti's lackey, by lack of a better term, know that his time might run out. And then you have someone like Vidal, who's been awake for so long. And as we mentioned in, in Requiem, the longer you stay awake, the, the harder the pull for Torpor is going to come. And you need to get some sleep at one point or another. And his, for as, as much of a villain as they paint him, also has a tragic story. He His, his own child betrayed him. Mm -hmm. After that, no more. He, he just skewed having to embrace it all. And that's one of the things that we also never really get into when we talk about like the masquerade is like well why don't these like six gens also just like reproduce at like wanton speeds right why can't i have this particular type of character of course you know in your own home game you can but to give it more weight they're very picky it's it's an it's an intimate affair and when that intimate affair with the one that you chose betrayed you never again you shut your door on that person and now you have the weight of that happening to him and time is ticking because if he doesn't choose a successor quickly and no one wants the position itself what do you do when you're running on fumes mm -hmm. and if you have to take it off? And while we're pointing out similarities, we're going to do that. That update Chicago by Night gave you Loden, right? Gave you Loden back as a hidden king, mm. right? He's just ruling yep. the underground, doing his thing, and Olaf is, is watching out for KJ. And they have little seeds where he could be secretly still grooming KJ, and that's why he's there. And that's because out of all his children, KJ was the one that uh, wasn't the obvious pick for a successor. And so it might be good. To do what he did and maybe is a, is just a weird, quirky, popular pick. Who knows? Well, I started laughing my ass off because this New Orleans book, the same thing happened. What am I talking about? Loden gets jumped by a bunch of werewolves. People think he's dead. He actually went underground. Remember me mentioning that Native American walking around, that dude, that oh. vampire, feed, the unknown vampire feeding on all these whatever. He was a problem. All these war quarters coming in lived in fear of this guy because he would come and eat them too. Mm -hmm. he didn't care about them they were on the menu you're in his territory jack and that's what it is and when they were getting the prince coming around these roving bands jumped him and this guy let them believe they that they, they he was dead that they killed him good old sam and now he's a dude named sam sam the hobo 
And Sam the Hobo <laughs> is just walking around. Now, I don't know about you folks. Hmm. Amy Newton better. Wait a second, White Wolf. Let's point this out. And I, you know, I'm just being poking fun here. But let me let me say, so Justin Achille, his stroke is so good that when his authors and his group came together to make this book, they made an undeniable uh, format that cannot be beaten in the future with the updated version of V5 Chicago by night. Why? What's the platform? Loden's the prince. He goes down and goes into hiding. He comes back as this hobo king, right? <laughs> Here's this founding vampire in Requiem in New Orleans for their history. He goes down. He makes everybody believe that he killed them and comes back as Sam the hobo. And I sat there and said, okay, well, I guess if it's good, right? If it's good, you keep doing it. You just keep going back works, to the well. Eh? And it's simple. And I invite everybody to keep that format because, um, number one, I, I empathize. It's got to be hard to do a city book and not have similarities. Mm-hmm. It really is. A city's a city's a city. You're going to have some vampires who are going to war, and you got to build drama, and you got to have plot hooks. It's just what you got to have. And you can't beat the fact that if it's vampire, naturally, there was a vampire who was here first that if didn't die was going to be a threat if they're still around. But how are they not a threat? And in Reckham, they point out that Sam doesn't care. Right, he was up so long, it was getting so barbaric that he had to take the sleep of ages, and mm-hmm. so it was good timing that he got shut down. Takes the sleep of ages and come back, and he's trying to figure out who he is again. Not because he's crazy, yeah. but because now he finds himself <laughs> caring about things he did, and the world's new and updated, and he's kind of just getting his feet under him. And they call him the hobo because he's harmless, and it cracks me up. It's not that he's a hobo; he's an immortal. This dude was walking around living in the wilderness. He didn't need a city. He didn't need air conditioning. He wasn't mm-hmm. caring like what super house he had in. And now I'm thinking in Requiem when you have that predator's tank, you know, you walk up and you're like, oh God, he could kill me. What's it got to be for Vidal to drive around in his limo and like be in traffic just stalled and there's this dude standing in the corner just looking out and he turns and he's like, you know, that Highlander moment as I refer to it lovingly in Requiem <laughs> yeah, quick where he turns and he's like, oh, get out of here. Get the hell out of here. Well, I don't know what that is. Leave now. Leave now. And everybody's like, what, Sam? <laughs> Are you talking about Sam? No, 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 no. Sam's just a, he's a hobo. He's, uh, dude, most likely he's a gang girl. You know how they do that thing. They just, you know, they're smart. It's cool. And Vidal's like, hmm, I'm not certain. I got bigger fish to fry. And, you know, moves on. I'm not going to worry about this now. If you say he's not a threat, he's not a threat. But the book goes, he's a threat. <laughs> he's a threat. If he he's wanted to, threat. Sam closes shop. If he wanted to, Vidal, Savoy, Cemetery, good, goodbye. He plays the Goodnight King. And starts putting people to bed. That's just what he does. And, and, and they're like, night, okay, night. great. And then they did something I thought was beautiful. I combed over the sections. I was looking for it. I was deep diving in. And I'm like, where's Sam's stats? And the author said, F you, Bob. Mm-hmm. Those are his stats. Okay? You want stats for a guy we wrote in book already and told you he closed his shop? What do you need that for? You don't need it. You need stats for that. What, your player's going to go swinging? No, they're not. What game are you running? We have this guy here for you to use for whatever purpose you want. He's a great mentor if players can can make it happen. He's also a great quirky character for that a la Bloodlines feel. You know, everyone loved the idea that Kane might have been uh, a cab driver. Holy crap, you're right. I yeah. didn't even pick up on that. Right? Ah. It's a gimmick that you can't get rid of because <laughs> when it's good, it's good. And here you have it again. Here's old Sam. What would Sam do? Ah, he could tell you a lot about the area. You know, he could be a historian walking around and someone says something about, oh, yeah, when they came through and barricaded everything down and uh, the Union threatened to bomb all Confederate little little 
mission and bolt holes they had out here. Everyone had to surrender or they were going to get bombed out. And that was here, here, and here. And Sam's like, no, it wasn't. What are you talking <laughs> about? That is five blocks over and there was more water all over here. This is all flooded. And it's hot garbage. You don't know what you're talking about. Buddy, I got a degree. <laughs> eh, whatever. You know, and moves on. And to a player character, that would annoy the hell out of him. Right? Mm-hmm. Think, think of all your your rules lawyering friends I read in all these books. I'm credited by three authors. And have somebody who's an actual immortal be like, did you? Oh, man, are you in for a shock? Right? And that's that's one of those cool things. And Sam kind of fits that niche for a little bit. But what if a player really wanted to learn something, and it was old school, and you didn't know how to deliver it to him, and you as a storyteller to be cheeky? And let him know, well, what connection are you going to use? Oh, this, that, and the other. And you're like, ah, oh, well, apparently this guy says there's some hobo who's real knowledgeable about that topic if you want to go talk to him. And when he goes to talk to Sam, Sam's like, uh, get me a TV. <laughs> Right, he starts doing weird, creepy put the TV? stuff. <laughs> uh, Don't worry about it. In the home, you're going to get me. Ah, uh, shouldn't ask a question. <laughs> exactly, and you get to play that game, right? And slowly, built as it's going on, do the players figure it out in time? Do they know what's going on? How come he doesn't know how to work a TV? You know, and everybody, it's it's interesting. It's cool. It's a great, quirky, humorous, interesting thing uh, to have sit around. Well written, well done, and that's in a backdrop of all your typical uh, political infighting. Uh, because for every one of these factions we talked about, like Baron uh, Cemetery, he mm-hmm. has his whole crew, his whole clique. And they have a massive section defining and talking about who he's in with and who he's not in with and how they feel about him. His plans of operations, territories, or what he could do or what he's about. To do exactly what DJ mentioned. Never before has there been a game so detailed, a city book so far, been so detailed, that you, the ST, can go, I'm not just going to talk, run a game in New Orleans. This sector of the city. Mm-hmm. man, it's going to be a pain in the ass having to come up with who owes what and what goes on. And then you open this book and go, oh, that's, that's so done. freeing. It's so freeing. Now it's a buffet. What plot thread am I going to go with is all I have to worry about. And now I'm focused on a series of scenes. And now I'm focused on who? The characters. Now I'm more determined than ever to just focus on the characters and write them in to the overall plot of the story I want to tell with this cool toolbox of a book that empowers me to do it. It's fantastic for that. And I'll tell you right now, my hat's off to, you know, to the authors of Chicago by Night. I already said that was a great book. Um, it's still off to the update for V5 as well. It's still good. Uh, but this book does it better, right? I still feel it does it better because it's, it's more empowering. Um, the Everything that I liked about the V5 update for Chicago by Night, and there's a lot to like, I, I saw where it came from. Or I feel where it had it had hallmarks of they were pulling from a little bit for inspiration. I also like the fact that when I look at this, why that Chicago by Night book is so good is because their unique ideas were able to be focused on the plot ideas they put in that Chicago by Night update. Remember we said mm-hmm. that? I remember when we went over that, we opened that book and we're like, man, did they have like two separate teams and sat down and looked at this and kind of because this feels real powerful that they had that. And then you learn, of course, they did. They pulled on authors to write individual stories and plots to do it, like the Lasombra story in it that's really good. And, uh, you know, that's they, they did a good job all around, you know. But when I look at this book and I see it, I don't feel that it's uh, it's old hat. Mm. Right. It doesn't feel it's been done before and it's done right. And that's the cool part about it. And uh, with that, I'm going to ask you guys some questions. because I feel I haven't yet. I've gushed. I'm done with that. Did they do voodoo correctly? 
in this book. Let's challenge it a little bit. We read it. We went over it. We saw it. Do you feel that that uh, mystique that Voodoo is, does it come across as comical or does it come across as something powerful in this book and compelling? It's definitely depicted as something that's powerful. They don't go into a lot of details as to what it is because, again, that's one of the things they, one of the books they talked about in the beginning for inspiration is actually like a historical book on voodoo itself. And not just voodoo, but where it came from, right? You can't talk about that without talking about the roots where it came from. And it's it's so interesting because I, uh, on surface level, I will a thousand percent agree it's powerful, but it's powerful for two main reasons. Um, one of them is the mortal aspect of it in which it's respectful in terms of how it, voodoo is treated, Vodun. But from a vampiric and kindred aspect is where it becomes more interesting. And the reason why is because you have three different types of camps and three different types of way to play crones and even more than that. And the reason I say that is because you take a look at Baron Cemetery, who is very much believing he's near the embodiment or has a very close bond to Baron Cemetery. In fact, there's a ritual that happens in the book that between him and the doll in which it gets very, very, very wonky. Mm-hmm. The, the very short version of it is he summons something. He's not sure what was what you know what was writing him to say some words that he's not even sure who they were directed to, but he knows something happened that night, and even that alone, like it's like saying you're touched by God, right? I mean, like any person who had that epiphany would would stop in their tracks and believe they're right. So now you have Baron Cimitieri who feels that way. His direct opposition is a character named Rosabeo, who had existed for a while, and she is the embodiment of what she believes Wooden is, and she is completely opposed to Smithieri because he believes that she's just riding the coattails of, of Samedi and he's not encompassing all of that which is voodoo from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, Smithieri also has this gentleman by the name of Dr. Jola who is this Caucasian male with a big beard who happens to be a book That dude is crazy. more yep. in, yeah, the darker aspects of, of, of voodoo, right? But he's necessary because he's also their chop shop doctor. You need something done. You go to Jola. Jola will take care of it for you. But now that's where that's where it becomes very strong and that's where it becomes believable because you could see that the aspect of, of voodoo and how it's taken in um, is not only a respectful from the mortal perspective, but it's also painted from a perspective of a of B kindred and C, especially if you're a circle of the Chrome fan, it shows you that there's not just one way to express a belief, mm-hmm. right? To express your own experience, transcendency of sorts. Now, the interesting part about it is that when I, when I ask, is it compelling, is it powerful? Is because that inner politics of voodoo they have is a very real thing. When they roll out Bacores and they roll out uh, those who uh, you know who are, who are in deep with the Loa, the white magic, dark magic could be used for the fact that they use uh, saints and bring them in as part of the Loa mm-hmm. uh, to make Christianity part of what they do to net more followers. The thing that misses a lot of people is that they think Vodun is like uh, I don't know, like uh, like satanic magic, right? Like an alternate source of black pitted magic that you can't you know do anything with. And what I like pointing out at it is that uh, you can make of it what you will, but it is uh, considered a, a peasant magic, if you will, uh, magic of the poor, because that's where it came from, right? It's a hodgepodge that they were allowed to keep their beliefs and their culture from where they were stolen mm-hmm. and when it comes over, right? And with the advent of, the, of the, the Haitian revolt, when that comes underway and those slaves freed or who escaped come and mix in in New Orleans and point that out in the book, things get even more serious, uh, when it comes to Vodun, right? Because they came from a place where they, they opposed their masters and freed themselves. And now, you know, this is still going on. And this is a violent element that you have here. And there's many tragedies that come from it. But why was it there? Why does it exist? Why was it so potent? Why do people fear it? The number one fear 
that that about voodoo whenever you read about it or what i've what i've read and encountered just in my lifetime not just horror films not just reading some voodoo in books not just talking to one or two so-called practitioners because i didn't do rituals with them or nothing like that but they could speak to it um was the fact that it gets in your mind right they cite dr john as being a musician in here that you could check out you could still check out dr john on youtube i believe there's a video with him on it and get an idea of how creepy uh, his music is because it, t- it pulls heavily from Voldoon and, uh, and things in, in New Orleans feel uh, to kind of get in your mind, to get in your head. And what it is, it's terror tactics. A lot of it is terror tactics. It's the absolute belief in something that overrides anything anyone else has. Because if you talk to most people who are Christian, they politely let you know that they got some God in them. They got some Jesus, they, they, they're believers, and they leave it at that. You know, they wear a cross, and that's what we're into. We don't want to get into a debate, though. No, we don't want to, we don't want to argue about what we believe in and what's this or that, because, you know, we're trying to be friends. Don't talk religion. Don't talk politics or party. Mm-hmm. To a true voodoo practitioner, that would break their heart to hear a, a follower, an adherent, actually would piss them off. To hear somebody who's an adherent that's been to one of their rituals not be a believer. Right, just didn't care about it because to them, that's disrespect to the ancestors that that were present at that ritual when you went and attended. The lower are everywhere, and that's what comes into it. But there's a level of how much of this is salesman from this so-called voodoo priest or priestess, and how much of this is real, is their belief, their faith, and it's will always be an enchanting mix and a mysterious religion for that reason that will that will net a following. Is people who need to believe in something easily gravitate to this religion because it empowers them to have something uniquely theirs. It can't be taken from them. And that's one of its empowering methods and why it was so popular, and it is popular, is, is that right there. A um, little left on it, but when you think of it and capture that element in this book and you got to look at it and go, is it here? Yes. And I'll tell you why it's here. Because Cemetery sits here quietly. He has his rivalry. But Vidal still mm-hmm. can't come in and stomp it out for all his political rich power, everything else. He can't do anything about it. Because you can't take a faith or a belief from a people. You can't. That's that's always mm-hmm. going to come down to the individual. And Vodun is one of those things that sells itself. You know, people explore, figure it out, and what do they want to believe in? You know, when you go to a ritual and stand up and participate with other practitioners, and they're in the mix... They're dancing, they're banging on drums, they're jumping up and down, they're sweating to death, they're wearing all white, they're there with you, they're in plain clothes, they're showing respect, they're meeting the customs, and they're joining in just like you're joining in. You feel you belong, right? It's a calling at that point. You're not just a person in the sidelines, and when you go to those rituals, they don't want you to be a person in the sidelines. If you came to watch, leave. This isn't a fucking zoo. It's not a, part. it's not a, what is it, a, this is a participation sport, right? Not a... Mm-hmm. Exactly. But that's also part of the hook, right? Every religion does it. My first Catholic ceremony was do what we do. Hmm. Watch what we do, but participate. If everyone stands up, you stand up. If they start singing, you start singing. Someone someone always points to you in the book where they're at and how Mm -hmm. to read along and how to go with it. And you take communion even if you're not baptized. Right, they automatically do it. Why do they do that? They want you to feel you belong to the religion to become a part of it. This mm-hmm. is religion one hundred and one, and so with that in mind, that alone is its own chapter for this book to get involved in and give you some in-depth dynamic characters to do it. They even sweeten the pot. 
something that you, neither one of you mentioned yet. And it's probably because you Requiem doesn't seem to be a ghost heavy book. It just Requiem, doesn't seem to no. focus on, right? However, they're quick to point out they have a whole they have a section on it that Narland's got some ghosts. Yeah, it, it has to. Any city with a, a, a history as old as as Nola, right? You're gonna have ghost stories attached to it. And I forget who it was. There's an NPC in there I was reading just uh, today casually, and uh, was because I was just enjoying going through at my pace at that point. Once we did what we did, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, okay, cool. What's unique about this? And it gets to a point where it says, here's the here's the catch, the rub about this character. If somebody wanted to attack them, it would go very freaking bad for them. Because of the amount of spirits that are watching them. Mm-hmm. Because the seriousness that this person has. I actually think it is the rival to uh, Cemetery. Rosa. And yeah, Rosa. Rosa. And it's just her sister, Isabel. Yep. She quietly speaks to you. That's it, right? Because the twins. And the reason being is because Halliburton was a pedophile. And, I, and my hat's off to the authors, Achille, for, for leaving that in the book. For throwing that up there and did it in a tasteful way. They didn't detail what he did. But they slapped pedophile on it and suddenly you didn't need them to detail shit. Mm. You know, and Halliburton was was a gang girl who was rivaling, could have been your prince. And it didn't matter. But once it got out what he did or how he did it, people wanted that gang girl done in and they did. And to note with that, he wasn't killed by the kindred of the city. He was killed by mortals because he got caught eating one of their children. Yep. Yep. And one of his children was actually cited as mm-hmm. being the one to see to his demise. And this is this, I think it is Isabella. And uh, I thought that was potent as it gets because she was seen talking to many people by multiple kindred that weren't there. She just seems to be talking to herself and all these people have names. And it was cool to say to see them put down that, that she might have multiple personalities. But to anybody with a brain in her head would know, no, she has power and she's talking to folks who are there. They're just dead. And if someone wanted to go for them, well, let's just say vampires really don't know how to fight the dead. Not at and, all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bad news bears i enjoy that thoroughly right because it opens up a dynamic now we have seen some there's 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 obviously i know there's ghost books and mm-hmm. and what and whatnot and it's and it exists and um that's a very fun thing for me um but without having to own that book in the tasteful way they pointed out here it leaves a horror element where you think of uh the conjuring Right or the Conjuring too, just how nasty ghosts can get, and what they could do with history and what could happen. But I also like the fact that if you were immortal, like imagine Conjuring too, but it wasn't humans that ghost was messing with. Right? It's Vidal. Oh. <laughs> right, Vidal the Venture who's sitting there just gets back from feeding, and suddenly he's thrown down a flight of stairs, and all the silverware launches from the kitchen down through through his body and hits the wall, and he's like, "Really, really." Tonight, look, I didn't mean to kill your sister. It, was, it wasn't even me who did it. It was Halliburton. What the hell's wrong with you, right? It's comedy, dark comedy, gallows humor to be sure, that this guy could figure it out. But it leads to, leads to purpose why I could see him then calling up the Lance. Where is Christ to come in and grant them peace and get rid of <laughs> these spirits in my home? Doesn't something exist? Well, you might have to deal with voodoo for that because we don't deal it. You mean the crone? And again, we have more plot. That's just flowing through, developing, and could turn into something. And I like it. I like any book that gives me that leeway to any direction I want to read or look something up or find interest in. Easily you can see it to be a story. 
you know, it's funny. Another funny thing you should mention about that is not only is it's one of the first times it does get introduced into Requiem to let you know how intrinsic vampires are to their surroundings. They produce these things, right? They produce the ghosts that haunt them. Um, this environment within New Orleans is, is once again, the Gilded Cage in which those ghosts don't go away and they will interact with you at one point. They even have the only, I think, one Cambro, eh, minus one, but the only other like thing they do mention is there is a merit for Kindred for kindred who are, who are um, mediums, because it, it is a very common thing, especially in New Orleans, to be able to see them and to be able to interact with them. And it only fuels um, both sides of either Lenkea and or the Crone in terms of what it means to commune with the other, right? Which also means if vampires can commune with ghosts, then what else can they commune with? So they're not living in a vacuum of their own, I should say. I think it's a potent element. I, th- I think all of it's great. And uh, I think that uh, the the advent of uh, that platform, once you get to a good um, style of creating these city books, you don't you don't change them all, you don't break it. Mm. Um, so, so me unfairly saying one book's better than the other, just pointing out that they had room to get better in, and they did. And um, I, I feel I have to state that because I, I do have love uh, for actually all three of the books I mentioned here in comparison. But this this is my my favorite uh, by far uh, because it just feels more polished. A lot a lot of love that comes into it. I highly recommend everybody get it. How do you two feel about it in comparison? Like you're you're fans of V five as well, same as me. Mm-hmm. And uh, how does this stand up to your Chicago by Night update? On my particular end, I think it's it's so good, and it's funny you should mention Chicago by Night because uh, as I was reading this, there's one thing that Vidal does that I wanted to point out. That's something very unique to what I've seen only in Requiem books offhand, which is in even in, in uh, the World of Darkness Chicago. Even Prince Maxwell does this, which is what Vidal does. Twice a year, Vidal actually holds what he calls the Night of Unfettered Dreams, where he knows you can't keep people, you can't keep kindred suppressed for too long. They got to let loose what they got to let loose. And even Maxwell does it once a year as well, where he just turns his back and goes like, you do what you have to do. The prince just goes to ground because you know people are going to be gunning for him. But it's just to let you know that these monsters are monsters. And whereas there's a, a small civility in Masquerade, you could definitely tell that there's something just continuously brewing in Requiem vampires. Uh, that being the case, you know, as you mentioned that, that, that called to mind, but it is, is definitely worth a pickup. And especially reading it with new eyes, produced in 2005, two amazing authors. You so we'll put them in the line notes, but it's so good. It's so, so good. Now, Brentshaw, I want you to note something. Don't make the mistake DJ just did. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Now, I, I thought it clearly asked, how does it stack up? How, how, what's your Richard take on your opinion? And DJ gave that corporate, dodgy, shifty, dance to the left, spin to the right, Put the girl back down when you picked her up at and, uh, and offer to get her a drink of wine, but never come back. Always mm. leave them wanting more. And he didn't say anything other than, oh, it's amazing. That's fun. Both are good. Cheeky. I'm over here now. I legitimately, my man, am asking. We're, dude, this is us reading books. We're fans. We're fans. You know, none of them are cutting checks for us and to, to give them anything. So let's just uh, let's just consider that for a moment and give a real thing. Tell the fans honest opinion. This book, uh, City of the Day in New Orleans, is my, out of any city book I've read, is my number one and beats out a lot of other supplements as well. The the detail they give to their characters. I, I have never read a setting book and come away thinking I have a damn good grasp on what all these characters' motivations are, what they're wanting, and how none of these guys, everyone is believable. Absolutely it is. And to painted such a vivid picture of a city, like I, it's my it's my top pick out of any setting book. If you're going to run a Requiem Chronicle, this is the one to 
and you want something to base it off of, this is the book to pick up. But the question was also stacking against the books that you have read. I, I already right? said that. This is number one. Above Chicago by Night, pick your edition. Above uh, NOLA, World of Darkness. <laughs> and those aren't <laughs> bad books. I made fun of of New Orleans by Night a little bit earlier when I was like, hey, it's got Subway in you know, New Orleans. But that's just, that's just a playful jab. I still enjoyed that book as well when I was going through it. Not to Absolutely. say any of them are bad. And this is not me being salesman either. This is legit. I like those books. I loved City of the Day in New Orleans. It'd be really hard to be a salesman of a book that came out in 2005. Right? So it's... Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it is enough. It is two-thirds of my age. That's correct. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right, DJ round two. I'm not letting you out of it. All right. Um, how it stacks up? It stacks top over Masquerade Books for me. Because we haven't even covered Chicago by we haven't even covered World Darkness Chicago yet. But right, as of right now, the like Requiem books for for source for city source books, uh, definitely this book outweighs um, Masquerade for me altogether. And, and, and I agree. And it's something that I, I think everyone else uh, listening uh, as we as we were actually done or winding this out. Uh, my parting words are not see you next time. My parting words are this. Um, no matter how you get it, no matter how you get a hold of this book, borrow it, whatever, get it. Uh, just start reading the Kindred History alone and, and welcome to flavor. Mm-hmm. And then get a gander at the culture in, in, in the New Orleans section like we're talking about. Yeah, pay attention here. When we mention and go through the sections where we fell in love with the book and liked it, we hope you do too. And if it's counter to what we say, great. Come out, let us know in Discord, send us a message, tell us that, hey, you know, you think of something else, it's fine. Make it a discussion. Uh, because there's gems like this that are hidden in all the Requiem line that you just didn't hear about because, you know, you had a jaded opinion, you know, or you were done with vampire. You've been doing it so long. You like vampire your way. Well, new day, new world. We're woke now. Part of being woke is trying new things and being accepting of new and accepting change. And if you're doing that already, then, hey, put on the big boy pants, step over and crack this book and give it another shot. Check it out. You will miss out if you don't. Uh, so, fellas... Always a pleasure. Uh, thank you for coming out. And uh, I know I'm going to enjoy uh, hearing this again later on once we do with the editing on the cutting room floor, as it said. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to get this out to everybody. And I believe, what's the next book we got? I'm glad you asked. And I'm glad we, we ended this episode on that note we just did. Because the next one we're doing is not even a Requiem book, per se. We're doing World of Darkness Chicago. Now, now that's going to be a rough discussion. Uh, definitely going to have to... Com- it's going to be a comparison fight easily. I love doing that. It's going to be so good. Um, nostalgic. I mean, already they got the same prints, right? At least that's the feel. And uh, I do I do like this book. I already mm-hmm. said that a little bit. But uh, we'll get to it. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where it lands up and how it is. And uh, folks, we'll tune in next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website, www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire, the masquerade.